Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvi, and I'm your host. And this week we have Elias Weiss Friedman, who is the photographer, uh, president, and founder of The Doggist. And for those of you who don't know The Doggist, it's a very successful Instagram page. And now also he's the author of two books. So uh, I believe they're New York Times bestselling books. And he just has basically been going around the world, shooting dogs. I believe he said it's close to 40,000 dogs. And he's amassed a huge following on Instagram. About 4 million people follow the doggist. And for those of you who haven't seen it, anyone with a dog in, in, in New York and, and a good portion of the U.S. I'm sure knows of the doggist. It's a huge account. And he really humanizes the dogs. He gets on their level and really has a connection with them through the um, through his images. We have a special connection with dogs. And it's one of those things I think uh, scientists and they research it and people write books about it and there's all this data. But at the end of the day, it's something very emotional that we share with uh, with our fellow beings. And me personally, I'm a, I'm a huge dog lover. Anybody that listens to the show, they know this. And Elias is as well. And that's why I think he followed this passion project of shooting dogs and really bringing their story to the forefront. How the whole thing developed was he essentially got laid off and he just thought, how am I going to turn this into and this negative into a positive? How am I going to really follow a passion that I love? And one thing led to another and he decided to start shooting dogs and just see if this can really be as successful as he thought it would be and it turned out that his gamble was was a good one because it turned out to be very successful like i said he's you know he's this has taken him around the world Uh, he's been on national tv selling books and really now is growing the brand into who knows the sky's the limit he can really take it in so many different directions so I had a blast, you know, every time I I can talk about dogs for an hour or two or three or <laughs> the whole day, I'm a happy pup. So I had a really fun time talking to Elias. And yeah, go follow him if you don't already. It's the doggest. I'll put all the information in the uh, show notes. And yeah, I mean, if, if there's one thing you can take from this podcast is you just have to keep grinding. Just keep doing whatever it is that you love doing follow that passion. That's what he did. And that's what he's still doing. And he spent hours and hours and hours just scouring the streets, looking for those perfect dogs or looking for that perfect image. And he's been doing that for years and many, many hours each day, seven days a week. So whatever your passion is, listen to the podcast, listen to what Elias did and just copy that. or. Take from that what you want and make it your own. But I do think this podcast has a lot of value for people who want to pursue their passion. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. And like always, just um, rate, subscribe, review the podcast. Really appreciate it, guys. And if you have any questions, anything you want to let me know, just my emails in the show notes. Feel free to reach out. So without further ado, here is this week's guest, Elias Weiss Friedman. AKA the doggest. Enjoy. 
the genuinely interested podcast. And we're live. Hey, Elise, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing, Roy? Good, man. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. I've been, you know, following your work for many years now. And um, as a dog lover, it's fun to see another dog lover. And I think I I was almost one of the, I mean, I don't want to say one of the first ones because there were still probably hundreds of thousands of people that were following me at the time. But this was prior to you having millions of followers like you do now. So to see that you grow, were, uh, you're, you're one of the early adopters. You, you found you were uh, before I uh, became super famous. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have 4 million followers on, on the dogist. Is that the biggest uh, dog slash animal account on, on Instagram? Uh, I think it's, it's one of them. I mean, I certainly like walking around New York. I have managed just to, to create a little reputation for myself. It's like, oh, you're the doggest guy. Yeah. My, uh, you know, my my buddy's dog was featured. Yeah. Everyone everyone has like a little doggest story. Yeah. I mean, we used to live right on, we used to live on Sullivan Street. So it was just on Washington Square Park. And a lot of the photos would be dogs yeah. in that area, in the vicinity, like in the dog park or in the Washington Square Park or in different areas, maybe like Greenwich or, or the West Village. And my wife would always in and and we just got a dog. Uh, we just adopted a dog. Uh, what was it? Six years ago it was our second dog, and she would always be walking the two dogs. And be like, ah, oh, you know, I wish I could see the doggest. I wish I could see the dog. Right. She wanted like yeah. a picture. That's part of the fun is that there's like this mystery. Yeah. Uh, Who is he? Like the the Batman effect. <laughs> <laughs> Where is he? Who is he? <laughs> Why has my dog not been chosen? <laughs> <laughs> my dog's the cutest. I don't get it. <laughs> But I mean, is, is there some sound? I mean, there must be, it must be nice to have that anonymity in a way, right? Because most people, if they have four, five, 10 million Instagram followers, for the most part, people know their face, they get recognized on the street. But for you, it's mostly you shooting dogs. And I think majority of people probably don't know what you, what you look like. Yeah, I've always enjoyed sort of being behind the camera. Um, you know, I... It's not that I don't have an ego in any way, but I don't have, I don't feel like I want to be like known for myself. I want to be like known for my work. Um, and, uh, as a, as a photographer, it feels good to be invisible a lot of the time where you're kind of walking around and you get to sort of decide when you want to like snap into action and be, and like turn it on and turn it off. Um, and, so I've always enjoyed that versus, you know, the idea of, of being, you know, if you had known what I looked like, then you, maybe if, if I'd walk by, you'd be like, Hey, you're the doggest guy. And like, could you like photograph my dog? Hold on, let me get him or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just like, I like that sort of feeling of uh, in, invisibility, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine initially, so, I mean, maybe before we get into the whole doggest stuff, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, background, where'd you grow up? Yeah. So I grew up in uh, suburbs of Philadelphia. And uh, I'm one of three. I have a brother and a sister. And, uh, but yeah, I, I had, we had dogs growing up. We had two Labrador retrievers and my extended family had a bunch of dogs, poodles and other labs. 
Um, and uh, my dad had a dark room in the house. So I started like, you know, getting into photography when I was maybe 10 or something. And would always, I was like shy as a kid. So the dogs are always like the thing I, I wanted to take pictures of because they were so, you know, they would sit and they would just be great models. Um, and I thought they were hilarious, um, which they, which they certainly were. So I remember them, um, Ruby and Matilda. And, uh, so yeah, I sort of started there, but you know, this was before social media and, you know, my parents are physicians. So it wasn't like, I was like, I'm going to be a dog photographer. <laughs> That's sort of like, you know, a lot of people have these sort of like dreams or, or if only thoughts. Um, but uh, then I, you know, I went to school, I went to Boston University and then I moved to New York. I was like, I always planned to move to New York, but, uh, and I worked in a brand strategy at an agency, um, just sort of doing something that was interesting, but not necessarily something I wanted to like commit my entire career to. Um, so that was great. And, in you know, working, helping, helping big companies tell their story, you sort of learn how like companies should communicate, how brands should, should speak. And, uh, and then when I was let go from my job, which was another, you know, blessing in disguise, mm-hmm. um, you know, they had a big layoff of 40 people. And I was like, one, you know, one day I was like, shit. But then the next day I was like, okay, now I can finally like pick something instead of just following the sort of what's expected, you know, after elementary school, you go to middle school and high school and college and your first job and then marriage and marriage. And yeah, you're all just kind of like, there's no like a moment to pause and maybe pivot. But I'd always, like I said, been in photography and I'd, had a bunch of like small businesses growing up. So I was always entrepreneurial and my mom was entrepreneurial. <clears throat> um, so I was like at 25, I was, uh, I had this sort of moment to, or about, you know, basically a year to sort of experiment and figure out what I could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I sort of just, I started doing a show called barking at dogs where we'd interview people's dogs on world news, kind of like this. Uh, no, it was, like, it was like a web comedy series and we'd walk around New York and like stop people. And, and I had like, my buddy would host it. It was just like really, really uh, wacky. And uh, I would get them to bark and then we would subtitle in what they were saying. Oh, that's hilarious. That was, it was hilarious. It's still up there. Barking at dogs.com. I've always wanted to bring it back. Um, <laughs> I always but, had an idea of, of doing a, a show, something similar where like you would subtitle the dogs, like what they were thinking. I always thought that was hilarious. Me and I, I, I used to have a friend and we used to go to the beach in the morning and watch the old people walk. And we would just su- like subtitle between ourselves right. <laughs> what they're saying to each other. Exactly. Yeah, but like, I, never, uh, I didn't think other people would be interested in that type of humor, but apparently they are. I know. Well, now it's now it's very popular people like will dub what they're like dog thoughts basically yeah um but uh so that was sort of how i got i transitioned to like doing dog stuff in new york city 
but it was it was very very silly and that was great um but you know videos kind of takes a while to produce and you know i saw that on instagram there's sort of like this daily feed and and sort of snapshots and and then i saw what like uh the sartorialist was doing he does like street fashion in new york and humans of new york was doing brandon stanton um and i was like no one's doing it for dogs like wouldn't it be wouldn't it be funny if there's something like basically the doggest, the sartorialist, the doggest? Yeah. Um, and uh, I just started in uh, 2013 with like a French bulldog in New York City, and uh, and well, actually, the first photo I posted was a boxer that I met in Austria on a trip. It was sort of like a build up to the whole like moment of starting it. Um, but basically realizing that I could have these funny encounters with dogs and end up with a photograph that sort of tells a little story and is like a little bit humorous and, and, um, have a simple caption style, like the sartorialist does just like, you know, you know, Houston and, and bond street or, you know, whatever, you know, spotted here. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that was six years ago and, it got traction very quickly. Like I'd started it in October of 2013. And then by December, it was like getting picked up by Huffington Post. And I was just, it was a good time to start things on Instagram. Um, and, you know, I was using a, a DSLR camera and uploading instead of just using my iPhone. So I was just, I was just sort of like, I got that right, you know. And dogs are, you know, one of the strongest internet currencies you know what i mean like the <laughs> definitely they're uh everyone loves dogs or at least most people do and pictures of them are like gold and i i've always you know i always knew that growing up you know i was always taking pictures of dogs anyway and i just sort of recognized that there was a great project to do that no one was doing well other people were doing it a little bit you know sort of like dogs of new york or whatever but i was the one out wearing knee pads and taking like so many pictures and on the ground and just sort of like making it just i don't know just putting a lot of effort into it and um taking it very seriously something that on the surface doesn't seem very serious right like dogs don't want their pictures taken yeah the whole thing was a joke and you know to me in the beginning you know it's like wouldn't it be funny to make it seem like dogs want their pictures taken in the same way. You know, people are so vain on Instagram that, uh, and they, they post themselves. So what if, and what if dogs, we I made it seem like dogs are doing the same thing, <laughs> you know, cause I am really good at, um, making the dog seem like he's looking into the camera, which it is, but the dog doesn't know that it's a camera. He's just sort of looking at me. <laughs> Yeah, at like a squeaky cool at the ball, or exactly. The ball or the treat, or uh, he thinks I'm some strange one-eyed animal. <laughs> um, so that that sort of anthropomorphization, where it feels like the dog knows, really plays to our like our funny bone and our like our our just we we love seeing dogs, just like we're saying, you know, uh, dogs that that speak or have, think things, um, human thoughts it sort of plays on that same, same idea. So that was sort of what differentiated what I was doing. And then 
the rest was kind of like history. Like it just kept, kept getting press and, you know, walking around New York city, meeting people's dogs, you know, the owners of these dogs are oftentimes, you know, connected people, you know, they're, they're, they're New York professional people and they're, Oh, I work here, my buddy. So it just sort of like spread like that organically as well. Yeah. And then I got a book deal in 2015 and had a second book in 2017. And here I am about 40,000 dogs photographed later, seven, about seven years into it. And, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like, um, we're just getting started about what like we could be doing, you know, trying to scale the, uh, you know, make the dog stories bigger because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good at sort of having these moments with people in New York and I travel around the world and sort of have these, they, a lot of it ends up being very light, right? Like, Oh, my dog, um, you know, he chases rabbits and he's never gotten one, but blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like this nice little break from reality. But oftentimes the, these stories end up being very profound. Um, especially, you know, dogs that have jobs and are service dogs and search and rescue and, uh, you know, dogs that are um, in need around the world. Mm-hmm. So we're sort of working on figuring out how to, how to reach those types of stories and spend more time on them and um, mix in with the sort of light humorous stuff, something that's a little bit more, you know, a little deeper. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot, definitely a lot to unpack there. Um, I think the interesting part is, is it seems that from, uh, you know, an early age, you had this either an obsession or just an affinity to dogs and, and, and like you said, you grew up with them. And I think that's something that probably a lot of people share because it is, it's part of the family, but you had that intersection where you're, you know, you got laid off and you turned a negative into a positive. And then there was this evolution of the dogist idea, right. That eventually came to fruition. Mm-hmm. But were you thinking of it as, huh, this is like a good business idea or hey this is just something that i love and let me see if there's something that i can do with this yeah that's a good question yeah i mean um you know i think one of the things i didn't want to be was like a struggling artist so to say mm-hmm. like i always wanted to be artistic a lot of people feel that way like oh i want to be a performer or i want to be an athlete or i want to be um you know, photographer. Um, and a lot of people, you know, the part of it is like, how do I, how do I make a living doing it? And, um, you know, I wasn't good enough as a tennis player to be a photographer, be a professional tennis player. And I wasn't a good enough musician to be a musician. Um, and you know, I was, I was a decent photographer, but I didn't really see how initially how I didn't want to do like weddings, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. Um, so basically I think at the, you know, 
I recognize that through creating an audience and through social media, um, there would be opportunities to like, like make money and, and create a business out of it. Um, even if it wasn't clear to me in the very beginning, like I definitely knew that it would work like from day one, I knew that it would be a thing and it would, and it would, and you know, that I wasn't, I didn't start making money until, you know, like a year or two, a year or so into it when, you know, some brands were like, Hey, could you, we want to work with you on some things. And so it's just sort of evolved naturally. Like I didn't ask, I didn't overthink that part, you know? Um, I think, you know, if you have a good idea and you, and you are consistent about executing it, um, social media is like this whole space that affords you a big voice potentially. And a lot of people will, will give, you know, who have an idea that is maybe a good idea, but don't have the, um, the drive to uh, push through to, to make it happen, or at least not don't have it today. They'll say, oh, well, it's hard to go to grow on Instagram. And now that's true. But now it's easy to grow on TikTok and other, you know, there's, there's always some new thing, disruption in the, in the, in technology that people can jump on. And well, they're potentially banning TikTok in the US now. Really? Yeah, there's talks because they just did it in India and uh, there were some talks of uh, banning TikTok now in China, right. now in the US. <laughs> I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think um, there's always, there's like tons of opportunity with the internet to showcase what you do really well. And in my case, it happens to be photographing dogs. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, and, and uh, what I do is, is not, <clears throat> you know, it's sort of a knack, you know, I, it's not like I uh, have some, you know, special ability. I'm just sort of very committed to becoming, you know, I, I was very committed to becoming the, the best dog photographer and, um, and through the last seven years, I've definitely established myself as some sort of like, um, you know, I developed a knack for it and I've gotten good at it. And, and I, but I, you know, you never stop learning about the way light works and um, how to interact with people. And, you know, I just started doing studio photography and I feel pretty amateurish about that. Um, so, it just you know you just keep keep growing yeah yeah i mean street photography and and, and studio photography that's a it's a completely different animal totally um because originally i came to the u.s and it was under a student visa so i was studying photography for a while and um and again i i would go out on the streets and it would be you know very intimidating especially in new york it's such a big city and uh, you know everyone's busy everyone's in a rush and if you get a, oh, you know, and if you have a project, you have to shoot people. It's like, oh, Jesus, that's so terrifying, like walking up to people. And if, and, but I didn't really connect to the studio photography aspect of it, like the fashion or like you said, like 
you know, other other studio projects. It just, I don't know, I didn't like it as much. I like being outside, but it is very intimidating to approach people, especially in a city like um, like New York. You know, when you first started approaching people, was it something that, you know, it took you a while? Was it intimidating? Because, I mean, that's I'm, I'm assuming half the work is, the dogs is one thing, but half the work is approaching someone, hey, saying, hey, can you stop yeah. what you're doing and can I shoot you? And don't worry, I'm not some crazy, you know. Yeah, it does seem like that is a, lot, a hang up for a lot of people, right? It's sort of um, approaching, you know, approaching people. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that, you know, I guess there was that initial hurdle in the beginning where I was like, am I really going to be? They're really gonna approach people asking to photograph their dogs wearing knee pads and like do this whole thing. <laughs> and as soon as I as soon as I started doing it, you know, as soon as I got that like first two, then I was like, uh, this is easy. Like this is not this is like another thing is that dog people are walking a dog that are walking a dog, um, it's like the the best excuse to stop someone. Like every if you're stopping to pet their dog anyway, it's like they're it's like they're walking around with a <laughs> with a um you know this adorable animal how could you not stop them yeah so you know like what what um other street photographers do like like uh, humans of new york or (laughs) elsa's jumping all over the place my dog um what they do is in a way more of a of a an approach because they're they're going cold with that, you know. They're not stopping people with dogs. They're just they have a different skill. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, at this point it's just automatic for me, and I get rejected uh, sometimes, and that's just part of it. And I think I think living in New York, you sort of uh, gain a resilience to people. Um, any, any negativity that people give you, you know, whether they, they call you an asshole or whatever, <laughs> um, you just kind of keep going and don't think, and you know, and, and if someone with their dog says no, then there's another dog right down the block. And, and it's not the dog that said no, it's the person that said no. And I'm not yeah. interested in the person as much. I am, but uh, more focused on the dog, obviously. So, I mean, initially, I mean, I'm assuming people were more hesitant, but now, you know, once people either yeah. recognize you or maybe you tell them you're the doggest, are they jumping yeah. at the opportunity? Well, I think in the beginning, it seemed more crazy, like the, the concept of like, well, what do you, you know, where's this going or something like what, who, who does this? Like the concept of like a, a social media influencer. Mm-hmm. Um, but now... You know, a lot of people ask ask people to stop their dogs to photograph them. I think it once once I once once they say yes, and I like I'm very sort of uh, fluid with the way I'm doing it, and I like have a camera on my hip, and I'm like know exactly what I'm doing. The ball comes out, the toy comes out, and then they're like, "Oh shit!" Like this guy is like serious, (laughs) (laughs) or I wasn't expecting this. Then. And, you know, a lot of the times I don't, I'm not paying attention to their expression when they see me doing, I'm not looking at them at that point, but I think a lot of people are kind of like a little puzzled. Um, But also 
I think people, because of, I've been doing this for a while now, will think, oh, it's this, it's the doggest guy. And they'll say that. I say, are you the doggest? And I say, yes. But I'm like, I'm already like in the zone. I'm not, I don't really want to discuss that quite yet. Yeah. Once I'm finished with the dog, because those first moments with the dog and its reaction to you, to me doing its, you know, doing my noises and everything. Those are often like the best pictures. So I want to like sort of have that moment with a dog, get like 20, 30 frames. And then, and then I can start having a conversation with a person and, and get into it then. But I, um, I don't lead with, Hey, I'm the dog. It's going to take a photo of your dog. I don't give them a card until afterwards. Yeah. Uh, because I want to sort of preserve, like I was saying before, that invisibility, that sort of like impromptu spur of the moment. Um, the dog sees you as this sort of like random stranger and, and this, you know, strange animal has, has appeared in my life all of a sudden. And uh, that is sort of, you get a lot of interesting expressions when you have that in the beginning. I mean, do you look for a certain expression for like you know how do you end up choosing you like you're you're shooting 30 40 pictures of this dog is there a certain look that you're going for is it something maybe that's more compatible with what you know best represents them like maybe if they're a funny looking dog you want a funny expression maybe if it's a serious dog you want like a serious looking expression or something different yeah um well i guess in terms of which dogs i stop or i'm just sort of looking for something that stands out a little bit um you know, whether it's that they're an interesting breed or they have an interesting pattern on their coat or they have one eye or they have three legs or whatever it is, something they just have like a something that stands out. And, you, and it's, you know, if you're walking around, you, you notice the same things. Yeah. I have a little bit more of an I can recognize certain nuances a little bit better than the average person. But um, and then, you know, I know that certain breeds react in certain ways, like golden retriever smile <laughs> they, they do <laughs> and uh and bulldogs want to like get really close to you they like you know they want to pull and get they want to get right next to you um and other other sort of dogs have this inquisitive look or are scared or so i might have some preconceptions about what how the dog will react will react but a lot of the time i have no idea and that's that's part of the fun of it is just sort of like you know seeing what happens and and then um i'll take you know a bunch of frames and if the dog is being really like static sort of like not moving or, or being expressive then i'll take fewer frames but if it if they're kind of bouncing around they're doing this doing that then i'm sort of taking a frame i'm taking a, a burst for each sort of expression. Yeah. And I'm trying to get the eye contact basically to be like right through the lens as much, as close as possible, because that's, that's sort of, um, like I said, one of my signatures, you know, if you're talking to a person and they're, and they're looking at your forehead, you'll know, right. Yeah. Definitely. It's like really unnerving. Right. <laughs> so we're really good at, at knowing like whether the dog or, or a person is looking at them or not at them. And that makes all the difference. So um, that's 
really important is that is that the dog is looking at me at the viewer um so that it's sort of you get that effect of where it seems like the dog knows that it's having its picture taken um and then um you know I'm, I'm having a conversation with the person afterwards about their dog get a little story and then sometimes when i'm viewing when i'm when i'm editing images i'll choose an image that sort of i'm choosing images that stand out a but then if the if the story aligns if the story is goofy or um there is a little bit of a juxtaposition of the image versus this that, that pairs with the story mm-hmm. so you know if the dog if the it you know like i said the whole thing is it is in a lot of ways like a big joke so if the dog has a really goofy story like he you know he ate a hundred dollar bill and pooped it out intact <laughs> you know then um, maybe i'll choose like a more serious picture you know what i mean yeah <laughs> because then it, it just the juxtaposition ends up being funnier because it's like he he's trying to he's trying so hard to be to be taken seriously and yet he does silly things like that so that's funny i think that place, yeah I think people don't maybe don't realize the uh the amount of effort certain things take right like yeah. there's thought that goes into that there's all these different things there's how you frame it there's looking for the dog there's spending you know x amount of hours outside i think people when a lot of times when they see a finished product they'll just assume oh you just snapped a picture of a dog and you put it online and they don't understand right. like all the nuances that you just told us Totally. I mean, what, what's, yeah. a typical, what's a typical day for you, you know, wandering the sheets, looking for dogs to shoot? Do you have like a process you follow? Um, or like how many I, hours do you spend outside looking for, for dogs to shoot? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the process is sort of like, and now the process is a little different because I have a dog for the first time, which is great. Very good um, dog, by the way. I can see. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. Yeah. She's a husky. I got during quarantine rescued from, from Texas. Um, but yeah, you know, I, um, they're kind of like, you know, baseball cards with you know the dog pictures where I'll have a stack of them and collect them. And, and any, any given day I'll sort of like flip through and like, Oh, like this would, you know, I posted a Labrador yesterday. Like, why don't we post a poodle today or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then, <clears throat> When I want to, when I when I want to sort of refresh, like add more to the to the to the deck, and like oh, like I need to, I want to shoot today. Like there's good light today. I I'm not busy with something else. Um, I want to go to this park. Then I'll sort of gear up. You know, I have the whole like outfit, and um, and then just head out and sort of just um see what I come across. That's that's like part of the adventure and end up you know like a a big day would be like 10 dogs that would be like a lot and but then like throughout the week like if i'm walking elsa Elsa, she sneezed (laughs) if i'm walking elsa to the dog park then i usually have my camera on me at all times um and if I see something that's sort of stand, like something I just have to get, like a, a little puppy or 
something, you know, just stands out, then I'll get that dog. But that's like one dog a day at that point or two dogs. Um, and so I like to just sort of, uh, you know, over the years, I think I've gotten more particular where, you know, um, it's not, it, I want, I want the dog and something, you know, whether it's that the owner just like has this cool outfit on or like the background, like the street is just like a really cool street. There's like a scene, you know, just something that where it's not, uh, it's a little bit more dynamic than, um, just the dog. Um, so that, that, that will like sort of spark something in me, you know, inspire me into action. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's sort of like the process. Um, it changes, you know, if I'm, if I'm traveling, then I'm shooting more dogs just because I'm not, I like, if I'm going to, you know, Rome or something, not right now, but (laughs) definitely not, (laughs) but, uh, I was there. That was my, my latest European trip. Uh, was it this year? No, it was, it was last year, last summer, I think. Um, but I'll, I'll be like out shooting every day from like in the morning, just trying to like cover as many things as possible because I'm only there for a selected amount of a shorter period of time. So, you know, um, that sort of ends up being more intense. Whereas when I'm shooting in the city, in New York city where I live, there's, there's more of a romantic artistic process to it, if you will, you know, where I, I'm just sort of more waiting for that, that special like situation and be like, Oh my God, I have to photograph this. this or like, you know, whatever it is, it's like a dog in a bag or just something that is a great picture. You have the luxury of time in New York. You don't have to compress it all into a week or whatever it is. Exactly. I, I can be a little bit more picky about it. And New York is also, you can be more picky because there's, it's so, um, it's so spontaneous and unpredictable and everyone's walking in a small, you know, Manhattan is not that big. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to, uh, photograph a dog near the Coliseum, then I'm going to, there aren't many dogs that hang out there. (laughs) So any dog I'm, I'm waiting. Like if I, I, I remember I was in the Coliseum and I was there for literally like two hours just standing there waiting to see if, and, and like one dog says, you know, yeah. And I don't always speak the language. So like some people will just like walk away and like, no, no, no. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, damn. Um, Crazy American. Right. But then, but then after two hours, finally, like I get this dog and it's, and it ends up being this like great picture of like this like little chihuahua that was like snarling, growling at me. But in, in New York, there's just like, there's a lot more percolating all the time. So I can be a little more picky about, well, not this dog for this picture, but I'll wait for the next dog to come because you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So would you say New York? Sorry. And if, and if I can't do it, if I can't get the picture with, you know, this this building today then i'll come back tomorrow you know? yeah no, definitely that, that makes sense new york is 
I mean, would you say New York's one of the most dog-friendly cities uh, you've been in out of yeah. all that you've traveled? I would say it's it's one of the most dog-friendly. There are many dog-friendly cities. You know, San Francisco is extremely dog-friendly. Um, Portland, Seattle. Because um, I know in Europe, you know, I've I've been to a few places in Europe, and and I forget where this was. I think it was Germany. Yeah, it was a coffee shop. Might have been Munich. I can't remember exactly, but there was this massive Great Dane just literally in the table next to us. And his 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 face was like an inch away from my espresso. Yeah. Like here in the US, they I don't even know. They probably they won't even let him in the coffee shop, but at least the owner would move him away. And the owner was like super nonchalant about it. He didn't care. And I didn't care either. And the dog was super relaxed. And I was like, this this is great, man. This I wish that yeah. I wish it was like this everywhere. Yeah. No, um I've I've bounced around Europe a good bit and um their their relationship they have with dogs is different and awesome. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um Germany is awesome. They you know, one of the things uh is that you know um the there's a lot of like bad breeding in in the states. You know what I mean? Like sort of people who are just doing it in their backyard or puppy mills, you know, not to make any like sort of broad statements about, you know, Americans and consumerism and sort of seeing dogs as accessories, but there's a little bit of that where, you know, there's like a lot of dogs in shelters. Whereas it seems like in lots of Europe, they're more, um, they're better about that. There are not, they don't see the dog as like a disposable. They, they are very, they take it more seriously. And there are probably more rules about breeding, you know? So the relationship that people in Europe have with their dogs is like a little bit, they're a little bit, it seems like they're more like integrated into society where like they are allowed in the cafes and you get these sort of like striking breeds, like a great Dane that's just kind of like hanging out randomly. Um, and um, that's cool to see. You know, like, and, and like I was in Switzerland and they had these, like, these like beautiful, rare, rare breeds that are just kind of, um, they just sort of fit with this beautiful scenery and you can see how they, they sort of like created this dog to live here. It just sort of like fits in. Um, and I don't know, that's kind of cool to see that the, the different ways that there are like different dog scenes in different parts of the world. London's a very um, dog friendly place. I was there. Um, Tel Aviv. Yeah. Tel Aviv is awesome too. And uh, Tel Aviv is all about uh, um, mixed breed dogs. And um, they like, they have a lot of huskies there. And um, it's weird, right? Because it's such a hot country. Yeah, I know, right? Well, there has to be people. I mean, I I have a husky now, but but she's I think she's like a mix. Um, but uh, yeah, it it, it I think um the culture speaks to like the type of dogs people end up with in a lot of ways. Are there certain dogs that you know you haven't been able to shoot yet that you want to shoot maybe like a, like a kangal dog right that i think they have them mostly in turkey 
or um, what, what kind of dog? A uh, Kanga, like a Turkish Mastiff. Oh, I'm maybe a, I'm not, maybe I'm not I'm, pronouncing it. It's like this. I think it's like the, it has the strongest bite out of any dog. It's just, really. It's this. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard of that. It's a herding oh. dog. They're massive. They're like 150 pounds. Wow. Um, I mean, there's so many dogs, right? There's that yeah. um, Mexican dog. I'm not. Pronou- I'm not even going to pronounce it right, but um, it's like that hairless dog. Uh, a Sholo eats, eats quaintly. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. They call them Sholos. Yeah, it's like a Peruvian dog or a Mexican hairless dog. Yeah. Um, I mean, are there these type of dogs where you're like, oh, I'd love to shoot that one day? Um, not really off the top of my head. There, you know, I have like the dog encyclopedia, and there are certainly a number of breeds in there that are um, very obscure, and like, I'm sure they have some like a, a few breeders in Europe or in different parts of the world, but for the most part, you know, there are, there are like maybe 50 or so like very popular breeds. I'd say even fewer. Yeah. That you just see way more often than anything that's like super rare. And I certainly know all those breeds and have photographed all those breeds. You know, every, every year that I go to, uh, the dog show like Westminster or whatever you see breeds that are more that are, you know, you see however many breeds they have there, maybe a hundred. Those people uh, are a little crazy. Yeah. So, so some of them end up being like very rare, but even still you occasionally see them. Whereas there, there are a lot of um, varieties of hunting dogs that are like very particular and hybrids and of uh, other types of dogs that have, evolved over the years from breeding um so you know i think what's also what's interesting is is going to um various parts of the world that have like indigenous dogs or like you know street dogs like um i went to puerto rico a few two years ago and they have sort of a local style of dog and they call them satos um and we ended up my brother we, we ended up doing a fostering one of the puppies and my brother now has him oh his really name, his name is finn yeah oh but I, I know that yeah you know it, finn. Instagram. yeah yeah exactly so there's just sort of like and that dog finn is um very sort of um perfect is a perfect example of like a Sato, like a, a, a medium sized brown dog with a sickle tail that goes up. Yeah. And they, that's just, so that's, that is basically like a breed, right? There, you know, it's not, there's not like someone is like maintaining some breed standard about it, but that to me is like, is like an example of a healthy, uh, good looking, you know, interesting dog that, just sort of evolves to survive in a certain area, in this case, Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that to me is super interesting. Whereas, you know, like a lot of people are, are now breeding these like designer dogs, um, you know, mini Aussies and doodles and all, all the, the crossbreeds, which are um, serve, I guess, a purpose, which is to, be cute and appeal to people who want something easy, I guess. And, um, but that to me is a little bit less interesting on a, in a cultural 
you know, way. It's a little more basic, if you will. Yeah. I mean, we've, uh, we've basically engineered dogs over thousands of years. And I think if you look at a lot of the pure, you know, pure breeds that are out there, you know, we designed them over hundreds of years to just to fit a certain role or to service in a certain way. And we didn't think about health consequences for them. And a lot of these dogs, unfortunately, are, you know, they have shorter lifespans, they have health issues um, from, you know, uh, not breathing well to heart conditions to uh, joint conditions. I feel like the mixed breed dogs tend to be much healthier and with less less, less, less health problems than the right. breed. Yeah, I mean, inherently, basically, whenever you're you're uh, trying to breed dogs to conform to a uh, to conform to a breed standard, then you're inbreeding. Yeah, and that has health, you know, genetic um, repercussions. Um, and you know, a lot of the the best, the, you know, the best breeders of purebred dogs are paying a lot more attention to that. Making, you know, trying to diversify their gene pool, um, and you know, with breeding programs. But a lot of people, a lot of breeders, most breeders, well, I don't know what the statistic, the statistic would be like, but a lot of breeders are not doing that and are just trying to sort of sell dogs when that you sort of call them puppy mills. Um, so yeah, um, you know, dogs that are, that evolve more naturally, if you will, like you know, indigenous dogs that are just, they, uh, there's sort of a more natural evolution where they, the, the traits that are good for their health are the ones that keep them around. Um, they end up with a healthier dog. And if you have a mutt, then, then the, then the genes are more diverse and, there's less, less of that uh, negative genetics happening. I mean, you know? my dog is a, a pit bull pointer boxer mix, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm assuming because I I I saw his mother and I she was a pit bull um, boxer mix, and no idea who the father is, but he looks like a pointer, so I'm assuming the father was a, was a pointer, and he's 13 years old healthier wow. than, than most six-year-olds like he's got the same energy same yeah. everything like he hasn't lost a he's step been a great dog <laughs> yeah yeah he's an amazing dog well awesome. i mean you've you've been around like like we said like a lot of places what do you think the most popular dog in new york is and is it more like per borough or how do you think like maybe hmm. pit bulls are very popular in i'm in brooklyn i have a pit bull i see a lot of pit bulls yeah. Um, you know, I think there, there is some, uh, you know, the, the dogs that are available in the New York area shelters, a lot of them end up being pit bulls. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of, uh, bad breeding. There's a lot of people breeding pit bulls, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And those people end up being, um, irresponsible and then they end up the dog ends up in a shelter so that's that um there's a there's a um there's an overflow of these dogs there's a lot of these dogs whereas in the south 
you have hunters who are discarding their hunting dogs after a season. So that's why you see a lot of hunt, a lot of hound dogs in the South. And so certain rescue groups will sort of, a lot of rescue groups end up pulling dogs from different parts of the country. So you see, and, and New York ends up being the sort of melting pot of dogs from everywhere. Um, so in a way, like the, the, you know, the way that the, that dogs end up finding their homes, um, and the dogs people end up choosing is sort of a, a, a result of the, the shelters in the area, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, uh, there are certainly a lot of, um, purebred dogs, um, in the city as well. And you might say that, well, what are the most popular breeds? Labradors, golden retrievers, and now the doodles and everything. Frenchies. Frenchies, you know, good apartment dogs, um, dogs that are available. And there's, so there's a lot of, um, you know, those breeders are available. They're, they're around the East coast, you know? Um, so that's sort of how I see, then I guess you could say there's some nuances in terms of culturally within the city, you know, one of the things is like, you know, if you go on the upper East side, you'll see two golden doodles, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, we wanted two. Yeah. <laughs> it's a brother um, and sister. And, um, and then all around the city, you see Frenchies of, of course, because they're, they do make great apartment dogs and they're cute and then you can pick them up and put them in the bag and stick them in a taxi and bring them to the subway and yeah and they don't require so much exercise throughout the day um and yeah and then and then you know you could say that if there's some cult you know uh in Brooklyn you have a lot of younger people um and yeah, if they're they're probably going to adopt a dog because it's it's noble thing to do. It's um it's you know easier than like going to drive somewhere to like pick up a dog in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um and um so yeah, there's like a lot of um mixes and like you're saying pit mixes and uh hound dogs. Uh, my, my buddy just got some like beagle, uh, mix puppy. And of course everyone now because of quarantine and, and the pandemic is like, everyone's getting a dog. <laughs> yeah. Everyone wants a friend. All my, dog, my, all my friends are getting dogs. Um, which is great. Um, as long as the pendulum doesn't swing back after this is over and people are like, ah, yeah, the, the shelter the shelters are are emptying out a little bit which is great um but hopefully they won't fill fill up again when people everyone's going back to work and you know priorities change well it seems like this could be the new norm for a while uh yeah. work, working from home and uh i think even when some offices reopen it seems like at least a at least the tech scene and a few other industries are very content with people working from home. It seems like it's, it saves the money. People are being just as yeah. 
uh, productive and efficient. So this just, you know, <laughs> Corona might have just yeah. started a new, a new working from home uh, industry. Who knows? Right. Which is great news for dogs. Yeah. <laughs> great news for I mean, me, I, too. Right. I, I've uh, been working that way for the last six years. <laughs> you know, awesome. working from home basically, and uh, like I have a I have a small team now, and but we've always worked remotely. Yeah. Um. So. Um. So yeah, interesting times, and uh, it's great that that people now that are getting dogs are choosing to adopt dogs. It's certainly, you know, it's. It's more interesting. It's more um, interesting and 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 a unique experience. Uh, I found it from from doing it myself. Like, um, like Elsa is like a she's like a husky mix, and she did, came from Texas, and um, like I couldn't have predicted that. Like. I grew up with Labrador. So in the back of my mind, I'm always like, Oh, well, I guess if I were to get a dog, I would choose something like a retriever, but she just ended, ended up in my life. And I love that she's in my life. And that's, that's like a more that the story to me and that, that feeling is sort of more special. Um, even if it was less predictable, you know, people tend to want predictability You know, they say, well, if I want a dog, I want this specific dog and I want to buy this dog and I know where to buy this dog and I can just pick a day and go and make it happen. But I know this, this, this sort of, uh, willingness to consider a, more of an adventure is, is a nice thing to see in people. Well, there's also some, there's like a blanket statement as if, you know, if they pick a Labrador or a Pitbull or a uh, Frenchie, that it's just one type of right. thing, right? Like they don't have individuality. Like if you pick a Frenchie, they're, oh, they all have these certain traits and personality and they're going to be X, Y, Z. And I think when people think that sometimes and then they don't get that because, again, there's individuality in some dog. You know, my Pitbull, like Pitbulls are supposed to be energetic and my pit bull just wants to sleep all day she like does she she barely wants to do anything so you just have that and people realize that you can you're not going to necessarily get what you think but just go get a dog that you connect with and that dog's going to be amazing doesn't matter the breed right no i think you know people just have a natural tendency to project thoughts onto things Mm-hmm. You know, they, it makes the world easier. You know, we're obviously seeing that happen right now with with all the racial inequality conversations happening right now. Um, so yeah, like um, people people see uh, certain dogs and they try and um, project what their their opinions about what that dog is like before any before actually getting to know the dog. But in my experience that while there's, you know, dogs, um, you know, have certain tendencies, like, like I said, golden retriever smile and like, and golden retriever will want to uh, retrieve the ball more than, you know, a Shiba Inu might. Um, But that, that's just one, that's just like a tendency. 
um, you know, Elsa is a Husky and she, she, uh, you know, the, the Huskies like to run and that's true that she does like to run, but she also, um, she's not really an escape artist, which a lot of Huskies are. And, um, I mean, I'm still getting to know her, but you know, a lot of the times you see, uh, like the, the dogs that seems that seems out of control is like a Labrador walking down the street, you know, like not what people want to think about Labradors necessarily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you, if, if you're looking to get a dog, definitely be open-minded. Um, also be aware that, that, you know, these dogs have been, uh, bred to have certain tendencies. So, you know, if, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure what, what's your dog's name? Well, two, I have the old ones, uh, taco and the younger ones, Shasta. Taco and Shasta. Yeah. Yeah. And they're big dogs, right? Yeah. Taco's probably 50 pounds and Shasta's like 70, 72. And is he, and, uh, and, um, would you say that he, that Taco would be a good dog for anyone or would you say that maybe not, maybe not for everyone? Anyone. Both of them. Anyone. Yeah. Especially, especially Shasta because, I mean, she's a pit bull and she literally gets along with like i don't even i think she's barked like twice in her life she right. she literally never growls she's so docile and submissive she would be a great for you know uh, a pet for a house with kids with babies with other animals right right so that is that's probably um you know most of the time you get dogs that are you know well-mannered um um, I just think if you're, you know, if you're looking for a dog, make sure that you are the, you're going to be the best owner for it as well as it being the best dog for you. You know, 100%. like if, um, you know, a bigger, a bigger, stronger dog is has the potential to pull. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're not prepared to, um, work with a dog that, is strong then then get a chihuahua <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like whatever every dog uh has a good dog and it can be the can be the best dog for someone exactly um and i think it's important to um make sure that the match is good you know people like i said people will, will have something in their mind and then they'll they'll say oh like German shepherds are gorgeous and German shepherds are like working, working breed dogs and they need to have something to do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you are not the person to give the dog what it needs, then it will not be a good situation. 100%. 100%. You know? Yeah. You, yeah, you have to know what you're getting into. It's, uh, it's yeah. a long, it's a long term. Luckily, relationship. Elsa, Elsa is, uh, is pretty easy. yeah she seems pretty chill she's just You're, not doing too much just chilling uh, are you breaking up a little bit can you hear me i can hear you now yeah um yeah so let's talk a little bit about you know the brand uh social media um 
you know, there's millions of accounts out there and, and they're all shooting dogs and cats and otters and squirrels and every and foxes and every other animal under the sun. You know, how do you think, why, why do you think that you're kind of ahead of the pack? What separates you from the rest of them? And, you know, did you think it would be as big as it is today? Huh. Uh, I, in a way I did think it would, it would be as big as it is today. Um, I think that, uh, that's so refreshing to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I think I would, I would have been surprised at a, a number of things that have happened, you know, like being like a New York times bestselling author was sort of crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and just sort of like the number of dogs that I photographed, but it is not surprising to me that people love great pictures of dogs and learning about dog stories. You know, that's sort of like the mission is like the story of dogs. So that there's nothing to me that's surprising about like, and, and, you know, it's also the story of New York, which is another very fascinating thing. So you're taking like this formula of like extremely entertaining subject matter, very, it's often funny. It's, they're beautiful. They're um, in in an area that is like everyone around the world wants to go to, and the people holding the leash are often like have something very like pithy and funny to say. You know, there's something they're like well spoken a lot of the time. They'll they'll say something good. Um, so you put all that together and you do it every day for. <laughs> You do, you do that 40,000 times or whatever, <laughs> I, you know, thousands of times, then that's a, that's a recipe for something. Um, and so that's sort of, that's the result of what I've, of what I've done for the last seven years is sort of create this sort of big project that never ends. And, you know, not, no two dogs I've met are the, are the same. Mm -hmm. um and dogs are kind of they're evergreen too like you'll never get tired of like looking at meeting new dogs it's not like oh i met a dog last week i'm good you know it's just sort of like this dogs have this special we have a special relationship with them and that they're like they're so uh like pure and um you always assume they're good, unlike people where people are kind of very judgmental about each other and they're like clicky and, um, you know, have their, their defenses up a little bit. Not with everyone, but, you know, how many, how many, how many uh, people would you say are your like close friends? Like not that many. No, not many. Right. Which is, which is probably typical, but, um, with dogs, it's like everyone you meet is like, you get like, oh, can I have, can I take you home? Like, <laughs> if you could have all of them, you would, maybe. Probably. Probably. So that that's sort of like a special thing. Um, and you wouldn't, and obviously, like, uh, there's tons of cat people out there, too, that are obsessed with cats. And I've never had a cat, but I have nothing against cats. Um, but, you know, maybe. Cats are nice. They're just not dogs. Right, exactly. They're they're a little different. Yeah. Not 
And some people would say, I'll take all the cats too. But I think dogs are a little bit more like, they're like, you know, they're, they call them like man's best friend. Like everyone, um, there's just something like extra, um, they're like extra affectionate. Yeah. They want to please you. Yeah. They're, they're very into pleasing you. Exactly. Um, And cats really couldn't give a shit. Exactly. So cats are great, but they're not dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so they're, they're just like nothing else like them. Um, you know, I've thought about it every day and still the answer is the same. Dogs, (laughs) Dogs are the best. (laughs) <laughs> they really are. So, I mean, w- would you say uh, at least half the work is just showing up, just doing it? Because I think a lot of times people fall into this trap of, I want, and, and and I see this with with founders as well, starting you know new startups. It's like they want to come out with a product that's perfect, right. and a lot of times, perfect is a perfect is subjective, but b you don't have to come up with the best results straight away. You you just have to kind of do it. Just take that risk, you know, take the first step, start doing it and gradually grow in, or, or in a business, gradually develop your business and, and, and make it better. Um, but I think yeah. the first step is the most important one. Just go out there and, and, and do it. Yeah. I mean, that's something they, they say a lot. It's like, every, you know, everyone wants to come out with like the – v5 or v10 version 10 yeah but it just doesn't work like that you have to um you basically in order to succeed in as an entrepreneur or as someone who is is like trying to create something you have to like failure you don't have to love it you can love it though i sometimes love it um but you have to you have to um realize that that um v v5 version 5 of what you're doing mm-hmm. is the is what happens after version 1 2 3 and 4 and exactly. um and you have to get to that you have to see okay version 1 didn't work version 2 didn't work oh version 3 something here did work well, and well then they, I can, they uh five. they it's not it's not also it's it's um it's not that they don't work. It's just that they're not what you see other people doing necessarily. Like you see, I see, I, I see version five. And if I can't do version five, then uh, I don't want to do it. It's basically, you know, I, I think of it as um, hills and crests where if you're at stage one, you're, you're at the bottom of the hill and you see someone at the top of the hill and you say, well, I, I um I could climb this hill, but I don't know what's on the other side. I don't I don't that that like that. I don't, if I um climb it, then I don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm un- unwilling to even climb one hill because I'm not I'm not going to take that risk. Um, and what if I fail? <laughs> what if I fall back down? So in, in order to get anywhere, doing anything. You have to climb the hill. And then when you're on the top of that hill, then you'll see what to do next at the next hill. But and and that crest will be your next set of failures in getting to that next higher thing. Mm-hmm. But only when you complete level one and two can you even see how to get to level three or four. 
You know what I mean? So people um, are, there's a lot of inertia, especially if at the lower levels of anything where you don't even want to start. You don't even want to get up because you have Netflix, you have your dog, you have, you could go get some food, you know, you can um, not do that shit. Yeah. But, um, and, and, and it's not to say that you should do that shit <laughs> because uh, not but everyone. But if you want to develop, it's, it's outside your comfort zone. That's right. Well, if, if, if people shouldn't feel like they have to do something because it's like exciting, you know, maybe, maybe they're not meant to be doing they're They're not cut out for it. Maybe they don't have that. Um, it's not, it's not what they should, you know, it's not their strength to be every day entrepreneurial and like, like self-driven and loving failure. So I think it's what's what's important is for the people that that are kind of close to that and they are thinking about it and they and they just need to like cut a few more little like excuses and like and and stop listening to you know some that need the extra encouragement then those are the people that should be listening and being like screw it like I like like I so I was sort of that person and and certain people you know like gary vaynerchuk i remember was like you know gary v yeah yeah yeah. of course um i remember like when i was just starting my project he was like he's like do your do your smurf blog (laughs) (laughs) you remember that (laughs) or it's like no matter how weird what you want to do is like someone will love it even if it's like Smurf blog. So like, I was like, so, so the dogist was originally, that was my Smurf blog at the time. It felt like a Smurf blog. Cause it was, seemed so strange to, to like walk around and like stop people and photograph their dog. But lo and behold, dogs are more popular than Smurfs. <laughs> Barely. Or at least. Um, but, uh, you know, not to overthink things. And if you, um, if you want to do something, then you have to trek. You have to one step at a time and, uh, and fail along the way. And, and you, know, you kind of have to rebrand failure as lessons and, mm-hmm. and, uh, steps necessary. You know, people are so upset with, uh, not failing, but failure is a good thing. Well, they're also obsessed with, I, I, unfortunately, all you hear is a success story a lot of times, and, and and it's not even that, right? Like, there's all these people selling you snake oil on the internet, um, telling you that, oh, uh, just sign up for my five step program, and I made fifty thousand dollars last year sitting from home, and they'll just sell you all this crap. Where, and then when they when they don't get it through that, which they they won't because it's snake oil, and then. It's like, all right, well, I tried my my hand at entrepreneur right. and it didn't work and I'm gonna go back to nine to five. And nothing's wrong with nine to five. Right. People that's that's what they love doing and they right. should do. But I just feel like if you do go the entrepreneur right. route, you should know that it's it like that success story that you hear 
that's, you know, that's two times out of 10. And for the most part, people don't make it. And it's very hard. And you have to, there's a lot of self. Right. Well, people, people look for shortcuts everywhere, right? Yeah. Oh, get rich quick, quick or whatever, you know, like that's something I, I could, um, make happen so quickly. And all of a sudden the reality is that everyone who is like a real success has, has turned what they love into something that's like actually sustainable Mm -hmm. has put in like so much work and there's just no shortcut. Like if you look at any professional athlete, you think they like, they did like a get good quick (laughs) program and like, it just doesn't work like that. Um, so like I said, like if, if you are the type of person that is, that has that drive, that spirit, then, then take the encouragement. But if you are just, if you're the type of person who likes having the more consistent nine to five, um, lifestyle, which is, I think great for, for so many people, Mm -hmm. um, then that is what, then you shouldn't, you know, over, you shouldn't push yourself to do something that you don't think you'd be, that you don't want in your, in your heart. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what's, um, what's the next version, next step for the doggist? What's V11 for doggist? Is it, are you going to go? Uh, in- I don't know about V11. I would say <laughs> V100. No, no, no. I would say less. I'd say we're at V v4 or v5 um, i mean is it a dog line is it merchandise food? yeah it's i mean i mean we're um band. you know um i think what what we've achieved so far is um you know creating a really interesting um fun sort of big project that that uh has become sort of a cultural thing and almost a New York institution in a way. Like everyone, a lot of people know the doggest or have heard of it. You know, I've, I've been on, you know, national television a few times. Um, and so now we're, we're trying to see if we can, you know, take, uh, you know, the, the brand and evolve it into something, um, that's more of like, a, a lifestyle, like, uh, Oh, like, what does it mean to be, like a dog lover <clears throat> and to have this sort of this sort of New York um sophisticated uh sort of like street style DNA in infused into it. Um and can we create products that people will, will feel like that represents that, that they something something about themselves that they love. Um you know, a lot of brands try and imbue their products with that sort of like New Yorkiness in there or LA or just some sort of, some sort of vibe. So we're, we're working on figuring out how to, you know, creating products is a huge pain in the butt. Like you think, you think, uh, walking around photographing dogs all day is, is, uh, difficult. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's, um, it's certainly fun, but creating like products is, crazy like there's just it's it's a huge uh uphill uphill battle and it's not something that i um i'm very familiar with so my team 
and I, we sort of are working towards like, um, coming out with these sort of limited products and, um, and figuring out, um, how we can create sort of a, a company and, and hire a bunch of people eventually so that we can, the doggest will sort of transcend me, you know, mm -hmm. and be about more than just, um, my pictures, but also about like a lifestyle of like, and for people that feel that, that, uh, love their dogs and, um, and love New York and they love good photography and they love humor and they love, um, sophistication. You know what I mean? That sort of certain, like they're, they're into aesthetic as well that minimal vibe so you know we're we're constantly winning and failing at certain things and um and that's that's the whole name of the game <laughs> yeah man i'm uh i'm a spectator i'd love to see what you guys come up with next uh i think the brand is is awesome and what you've been doing and building over these past few years is it's pretty amazing, man. I mean, if I, I think my last question would be if there are, you know, first time photographers listening, people who love dogs and maybe want to take it up as a hobby or maybe even a little bit more. Do you have any tips for first time photographers that want to get into shooting dogs and maybe even like street photography of dogs? Yeah. I mean, I think especially when it comes to street photography and um, something where you don't need to ask permission from anyone to start doing it. You may, you may, if you're taking pictures of people, you might want to ask for their permission to take their photo, but no one's going to stop you walking around with a camera. Yeah. Um, I think those first few steps are really important to take. And a lot of people don't ever get to take them. They just sort of think about it or they or they'll take pictures in their backyard, but like they won't go into town or they won't make that first sort of leap. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you kind of just, um, don't ask anyone for permission, don't say like, Hey, like, what do you think of this idea? Or like, you know, ask your parents what they think. You just kind of like, uh, throw yourself into it and trust your, trust your gut be a little bit crazy, so to say, yeah. then you'll, you'll be at that, that first little hill on the top of that first little hill. And you're like, Oh, wow. It wasn't that bad. And then, uh, and then you say, Oh, and the next thing to do is to go do a, the same thing somewhere else. Maybe I'll, you know what I mean? You have to, um, walk forward and, um, take action. And what you're doing um otherwise you're just pontificating you're just thinking about something and that's anyone can think yeah um it's uh i think that's true for almost anything you do just don't overthink things just yeah. do it, it. It's, it's, uh, do it it's about you know there's all these expressions you know where the rubber meets the road <laughs> and uh and traction like literally you have shoes on and go use them. <laughs> <laughs>
You know what I mean? Like go like knee pads, get some sneakers, whatever. Like knee pads have been my like metaphorical like thing that is a represents the, the, my commitment to it. So whatever it is, find your, find your knee pads. Are they just, are they just worn down by now? Well, yeah, I've gone through a few pairs and, and, you know, I, I, um, I actually wear them less nowadays because, um, a, it's it's hot. So uh, usually in the in the winter when I'm wearing long pants because I wear wear them under my pants. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the new camera I have I shoot with a mirrorless now. Okay, the Sony a, or a uh, a Nikon, oh. and um, the mirror pops out, and so I can now hold the camera lower and view the the image. Game changer. In the same way as I would if I were looking through the viewfinder, like crouched down. So now I, I don't have to bend. I don't have to. I don't have to kneel on the ground as much as I as much anymore. I can. I can uh, crouch and then lower the camera a lot, a lot more. Um, but I still use like if I'm doing an event, definitely knee pads and. Um, and during the colder months, it's just easier because I, I can just more, more stable. But anyway, those details aside, um, you know, it's like, it's like the just do it thing. Just do it. Just, just uh, do it, man. Curl yourself into the, into the unknown. Take Walk the walk. 100%. Well, I mean, we were supposed to do an hour, so I want to thank you for, uh, you know, taking a little extra time talking to us. Sure. Um, yeah, I had, I had a great time, man. Um, I really appreciate it. And usually I I ask what, you know, where, where people can find you, but I think it's pretty evident where people can find you. Um, the doggest, uh, yeah, I think everyone knows it by now, especially if you live in New York. Yeah. The doggest.com or the doggest on Instagram. I have a, my books are in stores anywhere. Yeah. And I'll put all the, all the links in the show notes. So it makes it easy for everyone to find. And yeah, man, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. I had a, I had a blast. Likewise, man. I, uh, that was great. I get to think about things in new ways every time I talk about the story. Yeah, maybe we'll do it again in the future. For sure. Awesome, man. Take care. All right. Have a good one.